All right, I'm in. Oh, dude, we got home yesterday and we immediately, I was like, I've been neglecting my love of my life for so many days that we went and saw Shang-Chi, the new Marvel film. Oh, new film. Marvel, yeah. And I will admit, uh, I fell asleep during a little bit of it because, I mean, you'll hear why. But the woman playing the grandmother figure was in this movie, Lucky Grandma. Have you heard about this at all? I think I have. Lucky Grandma. Maybe you told me about I it. I think maybe I did, but it is, it's incredible. And I was like, oh shit, is Grandma going to do something crazy in this movie? Because Lucky Grandma was so crazy. Like, is that why they cast her? And it, it didn't happen. But I'm like, I'm really hopeful for the future of this character. Like, maybe she'll get some powers. So she didn't have powers? No does, powers. Does Lucky does, Grandma have powers? Uh, It's possible. It's possible. But it's also impossible. I don't know. Lucky Grandma had smart brains and that she might was as working well be powers. That is powers. That's mm-hmm. powers. Um, there's no other way to start this except for to say, like, I am 100% exhausted. My tongue hurts really bad. That was the first thing I complained about when I got in here. It was like, my tongue does not feel good, Peter, because it had glass smashed on it and cigarettes burned on it. And it's not nice. And I'm going to probably, probably take more vape breaks than usual here because I'll get worked up thinking about about this week but what i was really going to start with is that like there was uh i thought about it for a second and i was going to say it started with a curse but it didn't because it started with a blessing that immediately became a curse oh god so i land in detroit pretty normal stuff and i run into a couple people i know from the show not like wrestlers but like they're working on the show okay so they have they have a lot of luggage with them a lot of my merchandise with them um, and this car pulls up and I'm wearing, I believe a very similar shirt to what I'm wearing now. It says wrestling is gay, which if you forget you're wearing it, there's some bold conversations that are coming your way. I've noticed this. Yes. So I you've, you've no- have okay. a wrestling is gay shirt. Thanks to you. Yes. And I often forget that I'm wearing it and, uh, I, my dog is kind of funny looking. And so we get looks as we go, but I will start to notice like more looks than usual. Yeah. 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 There's extra looks. I'm a looker too. Anyway, like when I'm in public, it's like, I started a level of look. That's, it's a little above an an average person, especially when you have blonde hair, you might as well (sighs) just like highlighted yourself. I know. I know. Like, look at, here comes the giant blonde man with a gay shirt on. It's a big time. <laughs> you currently have a bandage wrapped around your arm, too, and, like, the rest of your body is covered in well, small cuts. So you know, this bandage is actually, this is the best this arm has been because what happened, this is going to be horrible for people, a piece of glass slid into the cut, and it was there for probably an extra day and a half. It was there the whole time with my match with Jake Atlas, which I showered in between the War Games match and Jake Atlas, but I still was, like, bleeding. Uh, which is on me, but this blessing, this guy, like, and I'm used to, I'm used to, I'm used to people talking to me and I'm used to jumping into the PR answer. And so this guy is in his car, affluent looking guy. And he says, Hey, you know, what's, 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 what's with the shirt? And we just start talking, talking into his window. I don't care. We're talking, whatever, whatever. And he goes, I used to do TV advertising and I, how do you advertise gay wrestling? And I'm like, I'm on it. And I go, well, you uh, you tell them they're allowed to show up without getting attacked or treated like shit, and they pretty much open the door for you. And he was laughing, and he goes, look, because you have any shirts on you right now? I said, no. So I, I wasn't going to go dig through my luggage. 
And he just hands me a 20. And he says, go buy one for the butchest motherfucker you see tonight. I was like, well, sir, they're $30 for this. But no, I just took the 20. I explained what happened out there. And they were like, oh. And they were like, well, do you need a ride with us? And I was like, no, I don't need a ride. They were like, that was a really weird meeting. And I I mean, it is, but I was used to it. But it was also like, all right, I got $20 in my hand. Just landed in Detroit. I said, I'm waiting for my tag team partner. Lucifer's coming up to me now, the dog. Hi, Lucy. You saying hey? Well, from that point on, uh, there was a chaos curse, okay? And I maybe I'm reading too much into it, and you can tell me. Okay. Allie's like, I'm a minute away, I'm a minute away, I'm looking for her. She's at the wrong place. She gets sent out of the airport around. Then she comes back, and then she's at the wrong terminal. And then she finally gets me. And you're like, this isn't a big deal, her missing turns. That's not a curse. Well, Lucy, you got to let me tell... The curse, I know, I know. See? She's telling me right now that this is a real curse. Listen, I know, honestly, people need to hear that that's her reaction. As soon as I start talking about this curse, she knows. She was fine. She, she was, was completely fine. fine, and now she knows. It's scary stuff, people. Well, I wasn't going to do anything illicit in an airport, so I said, we're in a legal state, Allie. Let's go get some weed for me. And she said, that's fine. So first weed place we go to, we get inside, we wait in line. They got no weed. What? Not for recreational. They're like, we're sold out for the day of recreational. You'd have to have a medical card. But you can go to this place. So we went. Couldn't find that place. Found another place. Got there. Lines out the door. We're going to be in line all day. So we finally go back. We're searching. We find a place that has it. We end up getting it. We feel like we're doing okay. And we're like, all right, well, now we have to get food. We've put off food for a long time. And I don't know what's going on in Detroit, Michigan, but there's no food. Like, there might be a McDonald's, but every restaurant we were looking up and driving to, you're like, oh, this is a mile and a half away. This is perfect. Not open. Or super sketchy. Or, like, doesn't look like a real, like, might might have electricity. And we keep driving, keep driving. I was like, we have to find some kind of food. Like, I'm starving. We've been driving around Detroit for an hour. Everything is closed. I hit one. I said, this has to be open. We go to it. We pull into a casino. I picked the restaurant in the casino. I had no idea. I just picked, like, this looks like a diner. It looks like it has eggs and stuff. Let's go to this diner. Because you'd have no idea. They don't, like, It doesn't say casino diner. I've had that happen. It says, like, you know, cool 50s diner. No, I had that happens to me whenever I'm looking for ATMs, and all of a sudden I realize that I have to go to the mall to get to whatever it is. Right. Yeah, you're trying to to avoid mall mall restaurants. ATM, yeah. Uh, I said, fuck it, Allison. Listen, we're here. It's definitely open. It's a casino. Let's go. We drive around this damn casino for 10 minutes. We finally find parking. Then we can't figure out how to get in the casino. We walk the entire grounds of this casino, this middle of Detroit casino, all through the buildings, all around the circles, all around there, to finally get back to where we were parked and see that literally it was the door that was in front of us with no markings was the entrance to this casino. It was directly in front of us. Finally, the restaurant we looked up wasn't even open, but they had like a cafeteria area. So we said, we'll just eat at the cafeteria area. And I said, well, we're here, Allison. I'm going to play $100 worth of craps, okay? I like playing craps. I like rolling the dice. I like digital craps. So I don't want to be around the table. I think the casino gets you with that extra pressure of everybody judging you if you roll a craps. So I wanted digital. I mean, that money was gone in 12 minutes. (laughs) 
gone out the door. I said, screw this. I said, we got to get out of here. You're typically pretty lucky. I do okay in casinos a lot of the time, but this was like, I was like, I'm not pulling any more money into this. Yeah. We get out of there. And I was like, Allie, this is not, this is bad. She says, we just, we need to go to the venue. We need to get it over with. Then this show was 15 or so matches. You know, we're match 11 or 12 of this. Can I ask a real dumb non-wrestling fan question? Please, How, what's the average time of a match? Average time of the match itself is going to be probably somewhere between 8 and 20 minutes. More leaning towards a 10 to 12 minute period. Uh, But it is all the stuff in between of the entrances and the intros and the intermissions and the snacks and the cleanup. Like, all of that makes the show long. Like, my show Sunday was a pretty long show and it was 3 hours and 12 minutes. But WrestleMania this year was like 16 hours, and that was like four and a half hours. So four and a half hour show for WrestleMania. Mine was 312. If your show's two and a half hours, right? Like that's like that's a reasonable expectation to keep someone's attention. Okay. You think 30 minutes there, 30 minutes home. It's a three and a half hour, four hour night at most with the two and a half hour show in the middle. They got time for everything. I think that's reasonable. I went a little over on my time this weekend. We'll get to it. Uh but we're leaving this casino. We said we're going to go to the venue all night. We're there all night. I mean, I was in that venue until 2 a.m. Then we got to go to the hotel. The hotels are having trouble with the check-in, so we're sitting there. Then no food is open again. And these are all these are casual things that happen. But we're tr- we're trying our best here in Detroit, and we're getting it's, it's death by a million cuts though. Death by a million cuts, which also happened Saturday night for real. Uh, it's a mess. <laughs> And the next day we wake up and I was like, we, we are going to go do our best. We're going to go do our thing. Can't find breakfast. We drive all over town. We try to go to a Bob Evans. The moment we walk in, the server is like having a full panic attack. She's clearly the only server there. And this one girl at the front who's the hostess just keeps going, it'll be about 15 minutes to every person who's walking in. The line is forming. Nobody's getting served. I was like, we can't stay here. Then we go to a Tim Hortons that doesn't have half the menu items then we finally go to a starbucks and they forget our pastries everything was falling apart we said you know what you know what they can't mess up for us we're going to the gym we're going to go to the gym and we're going to work out and we're going to be fine and you know what we are me and ali are in a tag team called bussy there is a certain level of silly but also we're hunters and we're killers and we're going to go hit the freaking gym and lift it out So we do our cardio, we do our weights, we do everything, we exhaust ourselves. And I'm not, I really am not a big Grateful Dead fan, truly. Oh, I am, I don't get it. But there's a certain spiritualness (laughs) to the Grateful Dead that is undeniable, I think. There's enough legend and sort of mythos there that like they they are tapping into something. And dude, Touch a Grey hit, you know, which is like their most casual radio song. You know, half their songs are just like, let's twang a B sharp around for 35 minutes. But Touch of Grey like has a chorus and that shit hit over and I felt this just like wave over myself. And this is like right at the end of the workout. And I went up to Allie and I was like, I think we're good. And she was like, what? And I was like, I think the, I think the curse is lifted. She was like, I don't trust it, bitch. Like, I don't think the curse is lifted. I said, listen to me. I think this curse has lifted. And in that almost exact moment, my phone had been fucking up a little bit. And it was like the screen was kind of coming off. And I'm not nice to my phone, but it lasts a really long time. In that exact moment, dude, the screen gave out completely. And I was like, either the curse is done or the curse exchanges energies into this phone. I don't have a phone for the night now, but that's not... I can live. 
we leave the gym. I'm going to take a big puff for this. We leave the gym and we go over to FedEx where we had ordered some pictures earlier to try to sell the show as merchandise. And since we're together, we can sign them together. It's very exciting. We walk into this FedEx dude and there's like six employees in there and they go nuts. They're like, oh my God, are you Taylor? I said, I am. And they're pulling the pictures out and showing us, oh my God, y'all are so cool. This is awesome. Look at this. What do y'all do? Asking about the show, getting excited. That next night, we're in the room. All the matches are going well. Everybody's killing it. We're selling merch. The show is fast. Nobody's having a hard time. Um, the curse genuinely lifted. Huh. It was incredible. Just, and I, I think the Grateful Dead were just like, you know, you know about the voice, right? The voice? Yeah, 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 the voice. You know, sometimes it comes in different places. And God bless, you know, Cherry Garcia and his ice cream flavors. Because I think Touch of Grey hit, and I think it was the, it was like, all right, you made it over the hump. And I don't know, it's because we, like, worked our way through it and took it on and we're stoic. But that curse lifted. And that show was pretty lit, but like, uh, it, it had a, a much lighter energy in that exact same room that we were in the night before. And my match was great. It was easy. You know, it was hot in there. It was sweaty. I was getting to work with somebody I really, you know, mesh well with, um, the Benny Hill thing I was telling you about earlier and y'all can figure this out. I won't name names towards the end of the show they were setting up for a big run-in and they had to come from opposite sides, the, the two groups of people. And as the match in the main event was progressing, they were trying to follow where they were going to be going to do this spot. They were trying to time coordinate it. They were seeing, they had discussed a little bit and they kept moving in the ring and I wasn't watching the ring, but there's these two sets of doors and each group is at each door and they kept changing parts of the ring so they would all swap places and then look through the door again. And then they would all swap. This happened about three times did they swap places back and forth. And I just start going... And they're just doing the Scooby-Doo ghost chase through the doors? Yeah, but they're like on the other side of the door waiting to burst out. So it's almost like... It's like coordinating your... Your slasher attack in the movie, but having That's to see very like funny. while you're hiding behind the closet door waiting for the victim, you've got to like do it's, some shuffling. Did you see that movie about the rich people that kidnap like kind of white trashy? Yeah, yeah, they like they, torture them for yeah, fun and do yeah. a little thing. Well, like halfway through the movie, they like show what's happening and they're like going through, and the rich people are like, "All right, one, two, three, and then they like go through. They have, like the is is that the right movie? Um, I might be thinking of something else. I don't know if I watched the whole thing or fell asleep in it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's just like it was one of those coordination things where you're like, man, the stuff that happens behind these curtains is it's so insane. And I think like part of that lies in we all take it very, very seriously. We want things to go extremely well and we want to hit our marks and we want to know that we're doing the right thing. But we're also these like, giant tough looking crazy muscle dudes you know who just look like psychotic fight boys trying to hit stage cues and you're like this is 
this is absurd, but it's so regular to us that like the absurdity lies in how normalized what's going on back here is. Right. What a time, dude. Yeah, Detroit ripped. There were some uh, really cool people there. We don't get to come to Detroit all the time, and I think, I think the uh, pandemic messed up one of the earlier dates we were supposed to have there. But after that show, like half the people were like, "We're driving to Chicago," and we were like, "Under no circumstance are we on this evening driving to Chicago." And we went to freaking bed. And at that point, like my phone is dead, and I'm running my own show in three days, and I don't really have brunch figured out for my own brunch show. So, like, I kind of need a phone. Like, I, I have to have a phone. And we go to this phone store that's, like, they're redoing the parking lot. You got to walk around the whole thing. And this guy was talking to everybody in line, and he was like, oh, it's going to be three or four hours. You know, it's going to take forever. And I was like, dude, I was like, if it's going to take that long, I can't. I can't say. He was like, come back in 20 minutes. He hooked it up, got on the road, headed straight to Chicago. And this is the thing where, like, if I told you everywhere I'd been in the last few months, you'd be like, oh my God, you're a world travel. Like you're going everywhere. You're seeing the world. You're seeing America's beautiful metropolis cities. But like, and no shade to anyone, girl, this is Hoffman Estates. This is not Chicago. This is west of O'Hare. We are out there in it. We are not in the Chicago city. We're not down by the Miracle Mile. We're in, we're in Chicago land, as they call it. And once I got to that building Friday, and I didn't even go to the hotel first. I'm trying to coordinate 100 people. I got people running everywhere. I'm wrestling on Friday at a 7 o'clock show and at an 11 o'clock show. And it's 6 o'clock when I get to this building. People got 300 freaking questions for me. Everybody's got a question for me. But I got to go, and I got to do this match, and I got to get it together. I was in this building over the next three days for... I want to I want to say close to 40 something hours, maybe more. I haven't done the exact count, but this soccer arena, the Grand Sports Arena, they have like giant indoor soccer fields and turf and you know, it is it is a bare bones facility, but they were able to accommodate us crazy people and a lot of us crazy people. So it's a, a pleasant place to be because you're surrounded by a lot of people you know, but the dude, I was in literally like a, a turf warehouse for three days. That was, I felt like such a, a circus animal at some points because you're like, okay, at any point during this weekend, the odds of you walking into this, this soccer arena and seeing me being dumped on my head are pretty high. Like there are many chances for you to see me get beat up in this soccer arena. You could go have a whole date with your family you could, uh, you know, take the kids to the zoo and see me get beat up. And then you could go to church and go out to lunch and see me get beat up again. You could have your own life while I was just in this building being told to get in that ring. And you know what? I did well because of it. But it makes you feel crazy. Uh, I was originally supposed to have a tag match Friday night. The first match, the 7 o'clock. And everything got, I guess, topsy-turvy. And so it changed. And they were like, we need you, we need you for a singles match. And I was like, all right, I'm down. It was a guy I know I've wrestled him before, but to tell you that like a singles match isn't going to take more out of me at this point than, than a tag match would like, I'm, I'm splitting the difference in a tag match singles match. You're going the whole time. Right. It's on you. And I will say this, maybe I'm jumping ahead 
I had one, two, three, four, four singles matches over the course of this whole weekend from Detroit to Chicago. And three of them were 13 minutes, almost exactly to the dot, like exactly to the dot. And the one Sunday that was the main event of my show was 14 minutes. I gave him an extra minute. How wild is that? How wild is my timing that I'm like, I'm right on it every time. They say 10 to 15. I say you get 13 on the dot. If it's my own main event, you get 14. That's craziness. Uh, But I go 13 minutes with this guy. We do dumb stuff. I want to say here before I jump forward, because we're going to talk at the end of the show about last night, which I think is important. I will jokingly say stuff to younger guys in wrestling when we're calling matches to see how they react. And it's typically by calling moves I would never do or typically don't do um, to them just to see if they will just go like, hell yeah. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to make your cut off a Canadian Destroyer on the apron, which the Canadian Destroyer, if you're not familiar, the guy puts your head between his legs and he grabs you and he flips himself so hard that you get dumped on your head into the pile driver position. And the apron traditionally as a trope is known as the hardest part of this ring. So what I'm telling him to do is to do a flip pile driver onto my head onto the hardest part of this ring. And that's how he's going to get over on me because I'm a big guy. And he goes, what? No way. What? Really? And him questioning me like my brain was already crazy and the curse was lifted. And I was like, oh, well, if you're going to question it, here we go. Yeah, definitely. We're definitely doing it now. So I did that spot. We'll get back to that spot. Put a pin in that little crumb because I'm going to pay that off. Um, finish that match. I have so a little wait, time. They would have said, hell yeah. You'd be like, nah, I'd be like, I'm kidding, dude. Just you. bust my leg out and get on top of me. You know, like I I would have made it probably something. But it, so you're, you're like teaching them improv. Yes. At a really, really high pressure level. That weirdly, I'm getting it does more damage to you than it does to them. So they just have to like watch that happen or not fuck it up. I I control a lot of the momentum okay. there to make sure I'm safe. But like this is the start of many dumb things that I did this weekend. But I also like I knew, I knew, but I wasn't confirmed, and I didn't confirm it till Sunday that I was the only person working all seven shows that were being produced by these same production people, every single show. And I wasn't sure if maybe there'd be one other, like there's another guy I'm looking at who I'm going like big breakfast, maybe on every show. I don't know. And he was on a lot of them. Jordan Oliver, shout out. One of my favorites, young vet. Um, But I was like, if I'm going to do this and do all seven matches, I want to bring the fucking heat in every single one and make sure I'm like giving all of myself to it. Not even for like, look how cool I am, but like for myself to go like, hey, if you went all out and went crazy on a weekend, with that many matches, could you do it? Could you do it as a professional wrestler? Turns out, yeah. And I said all out because that's the AEW pay-per-view that was this weekend, which congratulations to them. What a great show. Good job, guys. Uh, second match I had Friday night was at the 11 p.m. show. And I have to kind of preface this to you that like the last time I wrestled in this building, it was the match I had against Nick Gage that was a uh, huge death match, You know, 800-something people in the building. I didn't wear knee pads for that death match. I held my own. I almost won the GCW World Championship that night. But it cemented me to a lot of people of like, oh, damn, we've heard a little bit about this guy, but this dude can go and he can do some wild shit. This is my return to that building on the show that the first show was two-cup stuff. This is now three-cup stuff. And they put me in the title match with Jake something, who is, I want to say he's 6'3 or so. I want to say he's 265. Like He's a big, big muscle dude. And... 
I was in the title match for a promotion basically that hasn't had a lot of shows during the pandemic. They did a little bit of stuff. And I was like, damn, the last time I did a full on death match here, I got to bring the heat in this match too. And this guy's so big that like, I think people are often surprised at the fact that I'm a little bit of a larger guy. Like I'm a, I think they expect me to show up and be like five ten and one ninety and like cool, but I'm like I'm like six six one in the boots and one ninety and like a a generously sized person, and so a lot of times when I have opponents that are on the smaller side, they can't do certain things to me, and I get that, and I build the match around them not having to. But I'm looking at this dude, and I'm going, oh, you're gonna you're gonna toss me around, dude. One of the first things we did in the match during the lockup, he threw me to the floor, man, like from the ring to the floor. All the way out, just to set the tone of like, if this guy wants to throw this grown man, he's going to toss this fucking grown man. And as predicted, the match went 13 minutes and the building was nut. It was just like, it was an electric cement moment to go like, they, I came in and earned it last time and I earned it this time, but like also they were already about it and they knew now. And that two years removed of like the work I've done in between, it was sick, it felt sick. Uh, I lost, as you can guess. But I didn't end up... That show started at 11 p.m. at night. And so I didn't get out of that building after everything was said and done. And like once I finished my match, I'm in gear for a while because I'm just slow. And I need to cool. And I need to process. And I didn't get out of that till 3.30. I didn't get to sleep till probably 6, getting everybody coordinated with hotels and everything. And that was me like choosing not to continue the night and going, like, I'm going to go to bed, guys. Because some of the people were like, we're just going to ride it through. But I think they didn't realize I had that show at 2 o'clock p.m. the next day, uh, which was, thank God it was what it was because I got a little bit of a relaxation. Uh, The concept is this, and I blame some of the curse from Detroit on this fellow, on Danhausen, who's very nice but very evil. He is from Detroit, and I think the curse was uh, emanating from that. The concept is that Myself and Dan the Dad and the Warhorse and a mystery partner were going to take on four clone Danhausens. And once I got in the ring, I sort of got to play the like I see through the the charade and say, like, none of these people are Danhausen. There was Puffhausen and Devon Monroehausen. There was Cabana Man Danhausen. There was Megabyte Ronnie Hausen, but there was no real Danhausen. And so I decided in that moment that Danhausen would be our partner. And we defeated all four Danhausens and defeated the curse. This was as stupid as you can imagine, but like I, I loved it when I saw it uh, on your Twitter. Oh yeah, it's it's <laughs> like to get to do like, hey, here's a really intense heavyweight matchup for a title, and good morning, I'm back in the in the arena. You can come see me fight the cursed Danhausen clones in an eight man tag in the middle of the show. Uh, I need I needed that in the middle. I needed that moment. Now it's still like I was doing stuff like and I haven't seen it clipped yet and I need somebody to clip it. I've been just like for some reason, are you familiar with Booker T? Do you remember Booker T? He had the he had like kind of the drives and he had the he would do this with his hand. He did a move called the spin a rooney, which is not a move, but he would like it's like a break dancing move where you spin up on your back like a ninja turtle and you land on your knees and you're like Cool. I'll do one outside for you in a minute. Okay. But I've just been throwing them into my matches when I have time. Just like, here I go. I'm going to do a spin a Rooney. Because fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. And we did a spot where he does like the rocks people's elbow, but he's a competitive hot dog eater, Megabyte Ronnie. And so he eats the hot dog while he's elbow dropping you. But I sit up like the Undertaker 
pop up to a knee. I do a spin a Rooney and then he stuffs the wiener in my mouth and I eat the whole hot dog and start beating him up. And then when Puffhausen comes in, he tackles me and Puffhausen is gigantic. He's a big giant dude. And he tackles me and the hot dog spits out of my mouth. Crazy. Like, listen, I'm operating on like a level of weird improvisational detail that like, if I'm the only one that pops myself great, but if I pop you with some of this little weird detail shit, thank fucking God. Uh, this is, I have to be careful when I talk about the next event though, because we had a little time in the middle and luckily the showtime was earlier, but they had to set up a full two rings next to each other, surrounded by a cage with scaffolds on both sides for the war games match. Are you, are you familiar at all with the war games? It sounds terrible. It is. But it is a historic match in wrestling that typically, like, when two groups are feuding and when feuds reach a real blood peak, you got to take it to the war games. Okay. And the rules are pretty easy, but the rules are, they are set up to give somebody an advantage. We did a coin toss. Either way, we got the advantage, which means our guy is going to be the first in after the first two. We're going to have one of our guys in after the equal start of two people. But... I was starting the entire war games. I was the first person out for war games. And this isn't, this isn't a brag, but it was very cool to see like some of the people that had come in attendance. We went from having, you know, I think 700 to 800 the night before for that show to fitting 1500 people in the other room with the dual ring still in that bigger arena. And it was incredible the amount of people they fit in there. But like, we got some support from some of those TV guys that were in town from the pay-per-view. They were there to watch. They were interested to see it. And it was, there's a guy, there's a guy. Okay. And his name is uh, Dave Melters. Okay. He's a wrestling journalist and a lot of people really enjoy him, but I think he's a part of a statistical kayfabe club that really takes from the enjoyment of wrestling and, if that's how you enjoy wrestling, I mean, that's on you. But I think there's a lot of like weird suffering and stoicism that goes on with being that type of fan and taking that kind of look. But he gets a lot of scoops. But at the last show we did, when Matt Cardona won the GCW championship, people threw shit at him because they were pissed. And he's covered in blood and people are throwing stuff. And this guy kind of came out. He doesn't ever talk about our promotion, even though we're like, we're, we're hot as fuck right now. He just, he thinks we're outlaw garbage kind of hardcore wrestling. And, he was in attendance at this show after saying that, oh, these aren't even real fans. These are plants. This isn't, they wouldn't just let people throw things at him. Or if they did, that's so disrespectful. Uh, and he showed up for real to see it. And I got to watch Joe Janela run up to this man with a real life plant and say, hold this plant, Dave, and take a picture of him and go, look, you're the plants. Um, but I only mentioned him being there because when I went through, and I did not realize this until after the match, and thank God I survived, when I talked to a few of my teammates, and they said, dude, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, I mean, they were chanting, they were excited about the match, MDK, MDK. I said, dude, they weren't saying MDK. Now, MDK is Nick Gage's phrase, murder, death, kill. Okay. He's a part of the murder, death, kill gang. MDK, all fucking day. That's the big chant, right? Well, they're chanting to my song, to well, to Elton John's song, as I'm the first to enter this fucking blood cage, MD Gay. And then they start chanting, all fucking gay. 
And I didn't hear it because it was so loud around me and I'm surrounded by the noise, but they were a little separated back watching from the back. And this whole arena is, is chanting MD gay. <laughs> and like not knowing it was happening was probably good. Cause I probably would have been like, Oh my God, I'm having a moment for yeah. real. But Listen, we got through that fucking War Games match. Like you said, I'm covered in bandages. My back... Can I just show you my back yeah. shoot right now and you react on the podcast? Okay. okay, here we go. Oh, Jesus, dude. God damn. That's like... that. Oh, that's yeah. like serious car accident bad. Well, that's the thing. You know, they've told us that like every... Every bump you take is like being in a car accident. And when I went to my chiropractor one time, he was like, were you, were you in an accident? And I was like, I've been in many and it's in wrestling. Um, either way, it was an ex- it's an exhausting affair to do matches like that because there are so many people in the ring. There's glass everywhere. When you are taking a hit or taking a bump, you're running the risk of getting more glass in you either way. Whether you're trying to or not, you're rolling around in glass. It was during that match that I got a cigarette put out on my tongue. What does that feel like? I've had cigarettes put out on me just from like being in my early 20s yeah. and drunk and stupid. But what is tongue like? Well, I want to preface by saying, number one, Mance Warner is always convincing me to do tongue spots because he's wild and he'll get his tongue stapled. We stapled our tongues together one time. I've seen him do the cigarettes. He'll get his tongue stapled to a table. Um so when, like your tongue heals pretty fast. Pretty fast. But, but it bleeds a lot. My memory is also pretty quick. At going, so I'll go, why does my tongue hurt so bad? Oh, oh. So I start the match by getting these cigarettes put out on my tongue, which is its own thing. And then in the middle of the match, Ricky Shane Page puts a light tube, like a fluorescent light tube, into my mouth, smashes it into my mouth. I spit as much of it as I could on him, but obviously my tongue is getting cut up by all this. It's in my gums. Like, it's not easy to get all of Like, it's definitely not a healthy thing, and I hope my boyfriend doesn't hear that I did this. I'm glad he didn't watch the War Games match. Uh, but my mouth was already pretty dry cause I'm in the middle of this match and I feel, all, 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 I feel extra dry and I'm like hawking and <sighs> I get it. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a half to three quarters inch piece of fluorescent tube was sitting in the back of my throat and I finally got enough air to flop it out. Like I was, you know, biting my nail and spitting it. Like it was like the. And I was able to finish the match because this wasn't, I mean, this was, wasn't that late into the match. It was in the match, but it was, you know, there was, there was time left uh, that I had to be up for and it did not feel good at all. It felt very dense and very intense. And uh, I'm glad to have survived, you know, with pretty minimal cuts. I do remember at the end, you know, Nick Gage and Team MDK. They're not, they're not minimal. (laughs) They're not minimal. Um, for me, they feel okay. My nose, I think is pretty fucked up too. Um, your nose looks fine. Your back is, my back is, yeah. Okay. Well, here we are. Uh, we get to the end of the match, get to the back, you know, we're kind of being celebratory Mance and justice and AJ gray and Alex Cologne. Shout out Alex Cologne. And, uh, Nick Cage goes, Oh shit, man. I go, what? And he goes, I wrestled my wallet in the entire time. The whole time he was in the war games, dude, he just had his wallet in his back pocket, what? vibing, throwing people through glass, breaking shit, getting cut up, falling off shit. That man was, uh, that man was holding his wallet the whole time. 
those, those 440 guys could have taken his wallet, you know, I th- but I mean, it made it through. That would have been amazing if they had figured that out and done that in the middle of <laughs> the war games. Middle of the war games, take Nick Gage's wallet. Now, I'm going to preface the next part of this with a, because the next show I did was, I mean, it's show seven of seven, and that is my own show, but the world was like buzzing about the war games because like this was... I think the haters would kind of say like, oh, they're a little indie. Like, what are they going to do? They gonna do but then we like kind of show out and do this big event. And we're finishing up this show around midnight. I'm looking around at the crew. Got the hotel rooms. And Matt Justice goes, bro, you think Sting really slept after Starcade 97? No freaking way, man. And uh, we rode through the night. We rode through the night. We enjoyed it. We talked wrestling. I hung out with my people. We all had a good time, you know. But I knew that I had to be kind of ready to go. Now, I coordinated this breakfast. And I feel a little bad, guys. I'll be honest. Because for weeks, I've been trying to coordinate this breakfast. Like, weeks. And it was not working out. It was not happening. People were backing out. Didn't know what to do. And thank God for Pollo Del Mar and for Alex, who is my merch guy at some of these shows and my design partner. They put together... You know, a half-assed but suitable brunch by going to Costco and getting all of these things. And then after the war games at about 1 a.m., where I'm going, we have to be up at 7. we got to go figure this breakfast out. We're going to go to as many restaurants as we need to to get as much breakfast as we can. I go, Jesus, dude, it's 2021. They deliver this shit. They deliver the breakfast to you. So at 1 a.m., I put in... Uh, an over $500 McDonald's order, which, yeah, I know, guys, it's McDonald's. But let me tell you this. They're not Chick-fil-A. They're not attacking the gays outwardly. They might still be donating somewhere. Who knows? They're probably doing terrible things with labor. But look, we had so much choice and so much option. And luckily, we were able to serve that brunch and sell that brunch and raise extra money for the Brave Space Alliance in Chicago. So basically, I fronted this money up and said, look, y'all buy these breakfasts. I know it's not perfect. What was perfect was... During all these shows in the building, the lovely family there, they spoke mostly Spanish. And there were a few members that spoke English. And we got to coordinate. They have a full bar there. And they have beer there. And they have liquor there. But I said, listen, guys. You have to have mimosas. This is It is the check mark the spot on a brunch time thing. Mimosas. And they, they were like, what is it? Like, they didn't even know what mimosas were. I was like, it's mostly champagne and a little naranja. Let's get this thing popping. And I said, just here's what you sell them at. Here's what it costs. Here's the champagne you get. You have to have enough. And before I even talk about my show, I have to say that I had to go up to them at the end of the show. And I was like, mimosas? And they were like, mimosas. <laughs> and I was like, yes, mimosas. So we ride through the night. The next morning, everything coordinates itself perfectly to where like, I'm walking up to the building to get my show going. As the Uber Eats driver, DoorDash guy is pulling up. And I was like, those are mine. Thank you. Take these bags. We're good to go. Perfect. Like, you know the timing thing. We've discussed it on here. Timing. And it was setting the precedent of that morning. I will say this, too, on the way over. My sister Allison is a tarot fiend, and I love her for it. Oh, uh, not my sister, but my, I was about to say, I didn't know my tag team partner, Allie cat. And I'm driving her car over on this occasion with a few of us in there, actually a pretty wild crew in the cards, me and Alex, who I've said does wrestling is gay with me, Allie catch 
and Marcus Crane. God bless Marcus Crane. He hung out with me all weekend. I need to introduce you to Marcus Crane. I can't explain all of it here. What a miracle of a human being that man okay. is. It's inc- He's incredible. Okay. We're driving over, and she goes, Sissy, you got to pull a card. She has her Casey Musgroves tarot deck, which, like, shout out Casey Musgroves. That thing is, uh, is it Musgraves? Or yeah. Is yeah. it Musgraves? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. Okay, well, let me just say this. Whatever your name is, baby, it's emotional, it's real, and you have a beautiful tarot deck. Okay. Wait, she has a tarot deck? She has a tarot deck. It's beautiful. You're going to want to look this up. It's, I mean, gorgeous. She has really good merch, by the way. We were really enamored. But Allie says, pull a card. And you know what it was? It was the Six of Pentacles facing up. Are you familiar? Uh, I can't think off the top. Let's of my get head. a read of it. Pull this up real quick. I know you have internet right here, and this is important as we start the big gay brunch because if what I believe is true about the Six of Pentacles facing up in this brief reading in the car, boy, it was correct about the day. I think I'm gonna vape real quick. Okay, this is upright giving, receiving, sharing wealth, generosity, charity. Right? Wrestling is gay is kicking. We're going to give to the charity. The Big A Brunch did so well. We're going to give to charity. The brunch itself raised more money for charity. And even in a bigger sense, I am, I am, my cup runneth over is the phrase I kept using. And I am able to put on talent that I believe in. I'm able to put on people who are in uh, sexual and gender minorities. I'm able to put on sick matches that I know these people can do. And they're not normally given the chances at some of these larger companies. And I feel like that falls into the six of pentacles too. Like, how's that the card I pull right there in a day full of just abundance and generosity and charity and enjoyment and sharing when your cup runneth over. So clearly, like I said, I mean, you can hear how the weekend went. The curse was done, dude. When I told you it was done, it was done. And I go into this show and like one of the things I have gotten more comfortable with is bringing my management Taylor runs a business, hires, fires, runs P&Ls, handles stuff. My decision is final. and bringing that into my shows in a way that is not egotistical or diva-like, but it's, it's direct and I know what I want. And so like, I'm on fire in here. Like every single person in this room is coming up to me. I got something to coordinate with every person. I got a match to figure out. And I typically have booked myself. If you watch the old big gay brunches or whatever, besides the fight forever show where I was a little crazy, I like booking myself in the middle. I like Gaga. I like knowing where I'm at. I can be in between things. I can cut time if I need to. But this is a, when you're the main event and you're a hundred percent going to be in that spot of you're the top match, you're the top call, you're the one that needs some time. When your show is running and running and running and going crazy and time is over and this and this and they need help here, it's almost like the last thing on your mind is doing a main event match. Right. You know? But everything worked out right. And like everyone I gave direction to handled their direction. Everyone I, you know, everything worked out the way it needed to. And it was awesome. And I I encourage everyone to go watch the show. Effie's Big Gay Brunch is on Fight TV. Everybody showed out and like what I've really enjoyed about these shows too is, and I tweeted about this, all my advertising is like real gay, rainbow sparkle, everybody's a rainbow, all my lower thirds are gay as fuck looking like obviously gay, but at the core of the show is like some of the most brutal shit possible. Like I opened with a really technical match between Edith Surreal and Veda Scott and Veda has a storied history in wrestling, but like Edith has really owned this confidence 
and watching them get over with this crowd doing really technical grappling and like almost British style wrestling. And then the second match I booked, this is, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, the whole card, but like the juxtaposition here of, I booked Pero, who's a 300 pound giant leather bear daddy against uh, a lovely lady, Jordan Blade. And I talked to her about her pronouns. She said she doesn't mind she, her, she, her works for her. And, but she's a black belt in a few martial arts and I don't want to misspeak. So my dumbass booked them in a bare knuckle brawl, bear being, you know, like a bare knuckle brawl, like he's a bear and because she wanted to be on this show so bad and cut a promo. And like a lot of people cut promos to be on the show. And I kind of had to say, look, I don't have room for everyone on here, but I wanted to make a point of like, I will include you if you put the effort in, but also I will put you in a situation where you are doomed to be destroyed. And I wanted to be like, I know you're a black belt. I know you're good at this. You're going to do jujitsu or whatever. Look at him. And this is a bare knuckle brawl. I'm just going to, I'm going to let you guys hit each other in the face. And at this point I even ran out. I'm in my little pink overalls, my glasses with my baby ponytail and a hat. And I said, um, Hey Jordan, good luck. Paro, leave me alone. And there's no fucking rules. Have fun. And they went like violent, crazy lunatic style, breaking shit, throwing chairs, punching each other to have these moments in a like gay show where we've sort of, it has its own reverence, but we've pulled the reverence out a little bit to be about the violence and the weirdness and the gayness and the turning up of like these sort of taboo parts of our culture that we enjoy so much. It's so sick. It's so awesome. I got to talk about my last match of the weekend though, because you said this to me when I got in about me falling onto the floor, right? Dude, Jake Atlas has been at the WWE and they don't know what to do with him. And I, I, the last time we had a match, I had said as much during the promotional time that I said, you are an incredible professional wrestler. You are so good. You're coming into your own. You're owning your sexuality. You're an openly gay man. And they're bringing you in. I, I hope they know what to do with you. I don't think they will. And in that time, I think it frustrated him a little bit personally. And I don't blame him for that. But in that first match, you know, those strikes, those strikes hit, baby. And I felt it, you, you know. And this is our second contest that we're coming back to each other. In that time, you know, like... I've become a full-blown outlaw owner of the indie world or whatever. Like, just, I guess I'm everywhere. I kind of, like, people have to remind me because sometimes I'm, like, I'm nose to the grindstone. And I'm just, like, do, do, do. And then people are, like, you're a big deal. And then I have to add $50 to my rate. Every time you compliment how over I am, I start charging people more money. So just be nice. It's okay to be mean to me, too. Not a lot of people will. I wanted a heavyweight main event beat em up mean as shit contest between two gay dudes where they're not even thinking about like, here's the gay match. Just like number one, we've watched Effie all weekend. A lot of the people that showed up Sunday to an 11 AM show after seeing all these other matches. And they're probably going to a pay-per-view that night to see CM Punk and possibly Brian Danielson, who they got to see. They're up early to do this. The show is going long, long as fuck. And I'm going to take my fucking time. And we had a hit them off, square them off, beat them up contest. And at one point, like I said, with Jake something, I got pile driven on my head onto the apron. With Trevor Outlaw, I got Canadian Destroyer onto the apron. And with Jake Atlas, I took a superplex off the top and missed the apron and went right to the floor. 
So my relationship with the ring apron this weekend was really fascinating, but I do love having those sort of exclamation point moments that are like, there's no way. And then they go, oh shit. But I am saying this now, and I'll talk about the match in a second, but I'm opening up what I'm going to call the Effie is fine, fine. And I've been telling everyone when I go around, I go, Effie is fine. And if you trust me, you will know that Effie is fine. But if you don't trust me and you really don't think I'm fine, like everyone running ringside, it's so nice to be cared for, but also I'm like the ref will let you know if there's a problem for real. It's cool. I'm good. Every time you think I'm not fine after I've told you I'm fine and you ask me again if I'm okay or if I need help or if I'm injured, I'm going to charge you. I'm going to make you give me money. It's the Effie is fine, fine. And it's not a fine for asking questions. It's a fine for not listening the first time. I used to say that in staff meetings. And this is where like manager Taylor comes back out, which is the only thing that frustrates me in the world is me having to repeat myself on stuff. And now listen, it's hypocritical. I make people repeat themselves all the fucking time. (laughs) But I don't like giving directions and then having to give the same directions. Not that I don't like clarifying or adding detail or expanding on, but if I've said something simple and I say it, I expect you to trust me and go with it and do it. Effie is fine. Do you want to pay the fine? You better trust me. I'm fine. I went to the floor though. That was crazy. I knew it was crazy. I looked Jake Atlas in the eyes. This is giving away so much. I said, if you're worried about me, at any point in your fall, guess what? You're an idiot. Worry about you, land correctly, and fall down. That's it. And he did it perfectly. It was magic. Uh, now, I did kick out of his finishing move. What's that mean? Well, it's the move he would typically win with. I kicked out of it. Kick out. I'm still in it. And then he immediately, as I got up, punched me in the face and won with that. Oh, damn. He beat me via punch to the face, which rules. Then Pero attacked me. He said, there's a civil war. I don't know what's going on with Pero. Pero's a lot. Pero's, uh, he's a big boy. He's angry. So I end the weekend getting dumped on my head. And then the end of my show is me yelling, suck my dick, America. This, the gay revolution is here. Suck my dick, America. The gay revolution is here. That's crazy, right? That was what was on my mind. I didn't plan that. It wasn't like I've been thinking about that all weekend. That was like seven matches later and finishing the main event of his own show. That's how I felt. That was the authentic, true form of how I felt. It was magic. It was magic. I'm trying to, I don't think it ends here because I'm trying to, the, the rest of this weekend gets like, a little wildly blurry, but there's one point I have to make. You know, we got to the airport early. We got home. I got fine. Like I told you, I saw Shang-Chi was sick. And then I streamed, you know, late. But there's two last points we have to make about this weekend, which is while I was hanging out after the show, we were watching the pay-per-view all out. It was with Dark Sheik and Billy Dixon, a.k.a. Straight Bill, who is now gay again, I guess, via storyline. And I said... You know, I try to save time everywhere I can. I always try to save time. And I think about how many times I've seen Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And I think about if I had saved some more time, I'd have more time to watch Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I would have much more time. And I was riffing on it for a while. And I was delusional and I was through it. 
it was a lot. Um, but I got home and I did a little research, okay? And my show ran, the full length of my show ran, three hours and 15 minutes. And Lord of the Rings runs a little longer than that, but I deep researched it further. And it turns out the credits of Lord of the Rings are nine minutes and 33 seconds. And so if you take the credits out, Return of the King is three minutes and three hours and 12 minutes. Return of the King, three hours and 12 minutes. I believe three theatrical version. I'm not sure. And my show is three hours and 15 minutes. They almost match up. I created the wrestling Return of the King. And now I hope you all save time in other ways so you can watch Return of the King with me. Isn't that magic? I popped Dark Sheik so hard by putting that up and tagging her in it and saying, look, I'm still talking about Return of the King. She's like, I've never even seen that movie. And I was like, well, you know, if you save some time in your life, you'd have plenty of time to watch Return of the King. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Aragorn Returns. Um, the last thing I have to say is this about the Canadian Destroyer. I put the dot on it, right? I knew last night that I was doing a podcast with Lars Fredrickson of Rancid, which is crazy. It's crazy. We were DMing each other on Instagram. Like, it blows my mind. I don't want anyone to think I'm, like, taking anything in stride. Like, of, co- of course, Lars hit me up. I'm a really good wrestler. No, I'm like, this is insanity incarnate. But what's even crazier is... P.D. Williams, shout out P.D. Williams, the creator of the Canadian Destroyer, is one of his co-hosts, Lars Fredrickson, P.D. Williams, on this wrestling podcast. So I'm talking to the creator of the Canadian Destroyer and the lead singer of Rancid about my weekend, and I'm going, of course I hit a Canadian, baby. I didn't have any idea, but I had to come talk to him. I love it. It's magic. I can't even, I was about to sing that Electric Light Orchestra song, but I can't even sing. You hear my voice. I can't sing right now. Did I riff long enough here? Did we talk long enough? We've almost done an hour. I think that's perfect. This one will be a little longer, but I think it had to be to expand kind of on everything going on. A hundred percent. I really appreciate people supporting the Big Gay Brunch. There was a lot of, there was a lot of support. Okay. I have to ask the question. I have two things. Oh yeah. Um, And then I'll wrap this up. Uh, is forgive my ignorance on whether it be wrestling and or stuff in the queer gay community. Yeah. Is the brunch is the big gay brunch thing like your idea or is that something that just people do? Well, I think there's big gay brunches in the gay community, but as far as a wrestling LGBTQ centric Sunday morning brunch show, that's me, baby. Cause I saw a, on the Piedmont park, like event billboard. Yes. There's a they big do a, gay brunch. Yeah, well, that's I stole the name from them, of course. See, uh, I admitted it was a chicken it or egg kind of thing. I yeah, yeah. It's uh, Atlanta drag queens have been doing that kind of Piedmont big gay drag okay. brunch. Okay, interesting. Um, but it just rolls right off the top. Yeah, it and really does. Is, you know if Effie's involved. Not only will there still be drag queens, Poya Domar, shout out, did a great job, cut an impassioned promo. And that is the truth. You know, gay people have always watched wrestling. We've never felt comfortable and I say gay people, I mean LGBTQIA plus community. We've never felt comfortable always coming to the shows and showing our support in that way for it either to be you know, misinterpreted or for us to be treated bad or for things to go on uh, that were not kind to us. But now there's more of that and you're allowed to program towards queer people. Or don't and let me keep eating all the success and putting people on and getting to pay them more every time because like... Straight people were at my show too. We are putting on really good wrestling. We're not asking for you to have gay shows all the time, but 
to feature us or mention our sexuality or mention who we are. You know, there's plenty of times on screen in wrestling over the course of history where sexuality has been included, but in a way that is very heteronormative or very uh, silly when it comes to our representation or uh, made a mockery of. And if someone wants to take the leap, they can, but... These little these little bits of baby that you leave around everywhere it doesn't it doesn't do everything you know what I mean we need more play it on our shout out for cutting that promo I love it felt great made it. <laughs>